pretty exciting year, 2015. If I haven't pumped you up yet, that probably just did it. But no, I think in all seriousness, um, thinking about what is to happen this next year, I think is such a positive thing. I, I love some of the traditions that come with the new year. I love the idea to sit down and say, okay, what are our goals going to be this year? You know, what, what are we going to see happen? What do we want to see happen and go after that? Hannah and I had, Hannah and I had done this on uh, New Year's Eve. We were sitting down waiting for some friends, and we had a little bit of time, and uh, I kind of was like, Hon, what, what, what happened this year? I mean, it was such a blur. What actually, what did we accomplish? What happened in 2014? And we spent about a half hour just listing off monumental events that occurred. I mean, um, milestones that our kids had reached that affected our lives, decisions that we made, um, different highs and different lows and um, memories that we made in a year. And, And in all reality, we were like shocked by how much one year impacted our life. And, it, and then it was quite overwhelming in that light to, stop back, to step back and say, okay, what, what do you think is going to happen this year? Because so much of what happened last year was not planned. It wasn't like, okay, we're going to go and do this. It just kind of fell, and it's like, okay, this is affecting us. And so in all reality, what's going to happen this year? And that's, that's overwhelming, and in a sense, it can be a very good thing for you to step back and realize that one year can affect your life greatly, can affect your life for the rest of it. But I think even more important than thinking about something like that is thinking through the lens of a believer. Because through the lens of a believer, you have a whole different perspective. And I think one of the most important questions we can ask ourselves as the church is why are we even here? Why do we have another day Why might we have a 2015? Because obviously as believers, we believe in the promises of God. And one of those promises is that our God is going to come and he's going to get us. He's going to grab us from this foreign land and he's going to come and he will pour out his judgment on evil and will totally destroy it. He will create a new earth and a new heaven and we will live with him for eternity there under his rule that is our promise and that is what is supposed to happen so the question is why are we waiting god i mean uh, justin and jacob came last night as i was preparing and we were sitting down at the table right before we played nba jam okay and did something spiritual you know, and we talked of just, of just thinking about what it's going to be like to be in eternity without sin, without pain, without sorrow. And the joy that floods me when I think about that is overwhelming. And so the question is, why are we still here? Why would we be given another day? Why would we be given another month, another hour? And the Bible is very clear on that answer. Take a look at this. Take a look at Second Second Peter, if we have our PowerPoint up. That was my title, so we can go on. There it is. So Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. 
The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness. So he's saying, our God is not just lazy at coming back and going to fulfill his promise. He's not just twiddling his thumbs and like, ah, I'll get to it sooner or later. There is a very specific purpose, and this is it. But is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The reason that God is waiting to come back is because he's waiting for more to come to him he wants to see more people repent and if that means he has to endure more people just shaking his fists at him and totally destroying his name and hurting his children for one more soul to come to him he will be patient through it all our god is waiting for more people to repent it's said in another way in romans here This is a passage that we tend to use um, in a very positive term, but it's more of like a warning verse. Take a look at this. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself? Here's someone who judges someone for sinning, but yet he does it himself. And he says that you will escape the judgment of God. Do you think you're going to get away from the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience. Basically saying, are you thinking that the patience that God is doing, are you taking that for granted? Are you saying, well, God's not going to come back. He's kind, so I have the freedom to sin. He's like, you're taking that for granted. Do you not realize the point of that patience and that kindness? And this is what he says, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. That's the point. The reason that, we are, that God does not come back is he wants more people to repent. And that's what we're waiting for. And that is why we are given another day. It's because God has chosen to use us as the tool to bring people to repentance. Listen, we are not given another day so that we can take another dollar and stash it in our bank account so that we can buy a good investment so that we can give our kids a good inheritance one day. We're not given another year so that we can go on this awesome vacation this year so we can see more of this wonderful earth. Because think about it. The glories of heaven are so much higher than anything this world right now has. The inheritance that we are promised is so much richer than anything we could gain on this earth that is better but the reason why we are still here is for the sake of the world is that god is choosing to use us to be a light to the world so that we can present the gospel so that some people more people might come to repentance And this is exactly where Paul is at in 2 Corinthians 4. You see, he is so tied with the purpose of God that the only, he can only see his life and his future through this lens. That God is only being patient for more people to come. And so I've got to be a part of that. And so today, in our our verses, if you grab your Bibles, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 13 through 18. We're going to see three things. Again, we're going to see this reason why Paul is going to continue in his suffering. Okay, that's going to be the first thing that we're going to see. We're also going to see his motivation in it. 
And then we're going to see his encouragement to keep at it. So as we, as we dive into this, we're going to look at the scripture, we're going to see how this all unfolds, and hopefully we can see how this really is a tell to our life, and a call for what we should be living for, and how we should see and view every moment that we have on this earth. So let's pray, let's ask God for his help, let's ask God for open hearts, and uh, the, his word to be what shines today. So Lord, I do ask that as we open up your word and as we open um, and hear directly from you and from the, from the lips of the inspired Paul, um, that we can find a drive for our life and for, for the times when we are lacking in endurance and lacking in motivation, that this can be a charge for us to remember why we're here and what we're to live for and what we can pursue wholeheartedly. Lead us through your word. Do not let me speak air or speak anything of Chris, but let you be the one who is glorified at the end. We ask this in your name. Amen. Okay, so the first thing, first thing we're looking at is Paul's reason to continue in his suffering. Last week, Justin had taken us through chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, and the first thing that we see is Paul's admission to his weak self. You know, he'll say it like this. He'll say, I have this this treasure, which is the light of the glory of Jesus. We have this treasure in jars of clay, or, or a way to say a very weak, fragile vessel. We hold the glory of Jesus in our vessels, our flesh that is very weak and is very fragile. And as we go through those verses... The one thing that, that, becomes the, that really becomes evident is, is, the, is that Paul sees a very specific purpose and very specific value in the weak vessels to face persecution and struggle. That there is something super purposeful in the suffering that Paul sees it is absolutely valuable to continue in it. That there's a reason that he is going to suffer, and it's purposeful, and I'm going to continue at it. And that is what this is. This is the reason. It is the salvation of those who are dead. That's his reason to continue in the suffering. It starts in in verse 10, but we're actually going to look at 11 and see how this unfolds. Chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11. Look what it says. For we who live, okay, first thing I want to point out is that, that, that line right there. We who live, kind of a funny statement to declare that for we who live. What, what he means by that when he declares that is in the Bible, there's two pictures of people. Jesus sees people in two references. You're either living physically and alive, or you're living physically and dead, those are the two people that we see biblically that are, are declared through Scripture. It's like when Jesus told the person who came up to him and says, Hey, I want to follow you, but first let me bury my, my dad. And he said, Let the dead bury the dead. Let the people who are alive but who are dead be the ones who, who bury the people who aren't alive physically. That. So we have dead people who are alive, and we have alive people who are alive. Okay, what is this? This is 
the new birth. This is what happens at conversion. When, before conversion, before you come to Jesus, your spirit is non-existent. Your, your spiritual life is dead. There's nothing in you. You don't have it. It doesn't exist. And then you come in and you see Christ as valuable. God comes in and what he does, this is the doctrine of the new birth, he produces life in you. And this life springs up and all of a sudden you see Jesus as who he is. You, your life is changed. This is what we call regeneration. And that is ultimately the description of a child of God. It is someone that God has come in and he's given life to them. Their spiritual life that once was dead. And so when Paul is referencing for we who live, he's talking about those who are alive spiritually that are basically the children of God. And he says this about those people. We are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. So the children of God are constantly being delivered unto death. They are constantly being persecuted. They are constantly suffering. They are facing much affliction and often are being brought to death. This is the description of what happens to the children of God. And the question is, why? Why does this happen? Well, he says, for Jesus' sake. Well, how does it help Jesus' sake? Look at what it says. This is the reason. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. The reason that we, the children of God, face suffering, face death, is because when that happens, what is displayed is the life of Jesus. It's like what Justin said yesterday. You won't see, or last week, you won't see the light of the glory of Jesus until the jar clay is cracked. And what happens is as believers walk, they walk in the Spirit, which produces love, joy, peace, and patience, and kindness, and all the fruit of the Spirit. But when they walk that way in the face of suffering and in the face of persecution, what is revealed is Christ's life alive in them. Because how else can you describe a person who is facing all of life's circumstantial issues of suffering and affliction and yet is still walking in joy and is still walking in, in love and in peace and patience. It's Jesus living through them. And what that is, is that is a proclamation of the gospel. Because when people see Jesus alive through you, they see the gospel that the Jesus who died is now alive and he is living through you. And this is the reason, this is the reason why he suffers, because he says, when I suffer, Christ's life is displayed, and the people then would have known of the Jesus who walked the earth. They would have known that Jesus had died. The one thing that they were unaware of is that Jesus was alive. And the way to display that, and the way to show that he is alive in the Lord, is by showing it through your life, thus being a proclaimer of the gospel. And that was the reason. And this is what he said. Because I can proclaim the gospel, because Christ's life is being displayed in me, this is what happens. Look at how it finishes off. Verse 12. So then death is working in us, believers, Christians, those who are alive, but life in you. Death is happening physically to us, but life is happening to you. You are 
being born again. God is coming in and producing a new birth in you because of my suffering. That is his reason. That is his drive. And Paul says this throughout his epistles. Check out this. Check 2 Timothy 2.10. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect. An amazing verse. Okay, for the elect, he is going to endure all things that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He's willing to suffer so that they can come to salvation. Another way, Philippians 2, which says, Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. He says, If I have to be poured out like an offering, but it's for your faith, I will rejoice and I will continue in it. You want to know the reason why Paul will continue to suffer? is because he sees that his suffering leads to people's <coughs> redemption. And that is what we are here for. Guys, catch this. We, we are not to be a salesman. We, our purpose on this earth is not to convince people to come to Jesus. Because you know why? Because we do not have the gift to do that. We do not have the power to convince people who are lost to come to Jesus. They need a miracle. And we are not the miracle worker. We do not have the ability to produce life in someone who is dead. But God has chosen us to be the tool that he uses to display his life, his gospel, to the dead people. And when that happens, Romans 1 will say that this gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. We are to be a presenter of the gospel, a displayer of the life of Jesus. And that's the reason why we have another day. So, moms, don't be discouraged when you, you, you hear the consistent claim that your job is, is useless or unimportant. But remember the reason why you're here and keep the course so that when you feel absolutely exhausted, you feel like you can't handle another scream and, and, and the hardship of just day in and day out having to care for those children. Keep the course and realize that when in the midst of that hardship, you continue to walk in the Spirit in love and joy and peace and patience, you will display to your children Christ's life. The most important thing you can do and the very reason that you are still alive today. It's for the sake of the souls of those children. And spend every opportunity you can preaching those kids the great grand gospel brothers do not realize that your job and your social connections are not solely a means for provision and an avenue for community but the main reason why god has 
has not just removed us from this foreign land. It's so that we can be a light to those that are around us that are dead. That we remain here so that as we walk in the Spirit and the hardships of life come, whether it be financial, whether it be just the the hardship of flesh, or whether it be family, or whatever it may be, as those come and we keep the course, remaining walking in the Spirit, we will be a light to the life of Jesus, to those who are around us, and possibly the tool that brings them back to God, brings them to God in repentance. That's the reason why we're here, and that's what Paul saw, that's what drove him, and that's why he said, I will keep on suffering. Because God is patient so that people will come to repentance, and I'm going to be the tool that God uses for that. That is the reason. The next is going to be Paul's motivation behind his pursuit. What is his fuel behind it? What drives him? What is, what's going to motivate us through this? It's one thing to see that reason, but what is that fueling power that gets us going and saying, everything inside of me has got to do this? Well, starting in verse 13, we'll see the motivation. Okay, all right, there we go, we're good. Verse 13, and since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written. Such an awesome verse because I, I, I so much relate to what he's saying here. So he starts off by saying, since we have the same spirit of faith. What does that mean? Ultimately what this means is it means that he has an agreement or he's feeling the same experience that someone else is. Okay, and he says, according to what is written. What this means is, and this happens all the time to me, often when we're in the preaching team, and I'm sitting down with Jacob, Justin, and Larry, and we're just talking, and one of them, what they'll do is they'll, they'll declare a truth about God, or they'll declare something that they're learning. And I am shocked by what they're saying, because what they're saying is the, the very thing that I am feeling inside. It's the very thing that God has been teaching me, and sometimes I haven't had the words to express it yet, but they're expressing what is deep with inside me. I was, I was reading a book um, a few months ago with A.W. Tozer, and, this, and, and he had listed this prayer. And what he prayed, I just sat back in awe because his prayer was my very passion was my, my very longing. Everything he was saying was everything that my heart just beats for. And you know what that is a revelation of? The same spirit that's working in him is the same spirit that's working in me. The same spirit that's producing those desires in my brothers at the preaching team are the, the same spirit that's producing those same desires in me. And this is what Paul is referencing to. He's saying... He's saying, and since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written. Okay, so what does he mean according to what was written? Here's the quote. I believe and therefore I spoke. That's the quote of what was written. What he's referencing is Psalms 116. Awesome passage. Let's go to it real quick. Psalms 116. Check this out. This again is what he's referencing back to that he's in the same spirit of. He says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications, because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. 
The pains of death surrounded me, and the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low, and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believe, therefore I spoke. The psalmist initially comes out and he says, I love the Lord because he listens to me. And then all of a sudden he starts to describe the hardship and the suffering that he's facing. I'm being persecuted. Life is hard. But I will come to the Lord. I will go to the Lord because I believe that he will listen to me and that he will defend me and that he will lead me through this troubled time. And then he says it at the end, I believed, therefore I spoke. It was his belief, it was his faith that drove him to his knees in trust and in full faith that God was going to listen to him. And that is what faith does. And so you come over here to this next Our our next point, Paul's motivation behind his pursuit is number one, this, his unquenchable faith. Faith is always, faith is always the motivation behind any action. It is always the drive behind anything we do. This is the James 2 where he says, faith without works is dead. You believe something, thus you will do something. It's what always happens. It's what drives us. I see this all the time with my kids. All the time. There's my son standing on the bunk bed. There I am standing on the floor. Okay? My son does not need to grab me and say, okay, Dad, this is what I'm thinking about doing. I'm thinking about jumping off this bunk bed. But I want to be assured that you are going to catch me before I do it. And I want to make sure you understand how to catch me. No, it is a total impulse. My son believes that his dad is going to catch him. And his dad is not going to let him get hurt. And in that impulse, what does he do? He just jumps. He just goes for it. Of course, daddy's going to catch him. You see... Faith is ultimately our strong motivation. If we don't believe in it, we're not going to do it. But when you believe in something so strong, you have to declare it. You have to go for it. And what was it that Paul actually believed in? Verse 14. Knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes. He believes in this hope that if he preaches the gospel and you and I are redeemed, that one day Christ will raise us up and we will be with him And that belief is so heavy in Paul's heart that he has to speak. Because catch this, it is his message that often is what produces his suffering. 
And so Paul says, I have to preach. I have to suffer because I believe so strongly in the promise that we will be raised up. That yes, I will go ahead and suffer for your sake. I will be persecuted for your sake because that will bring redemption to you and ultimately mean we will spend eternity with you. It is all for your sake, he emphasizes. It's all for your sake. Motivation number one, it's this unquenchable faith. Number two, next one, is his desperate longing to worship God. Let's finish out verse verse, uh, 15. For all things are for your sake, that grace, having spread through many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. The second motivation is that he longs to see God worshipped. So when he says the grace, the grace having spread through many, that is the salvation of souls. That's birth being produced in multiple different people. And when that is spread through many, it may cause in the thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. More people will worship God. For Paul, worship is what his whole life is about. Why? Because when he worships, he is ultimately actively participating in the very thing he was created to do. It's what he enjoys the most in life is to worship God and to see God elevated. Because guys, that is what we were ultimately created to do. That is why we long to climb the mountains and look at the vast scenery or stand in front of the Grand Canyon and see something that is greater than us. Because when we see this, we attribute those things to God. We see a reflection of God and our heart fills up And when we do attribute that to God, we ultimately feel this sense of satisfaction, this sense of joy, this sense of passion. Because you and I were created for that. And for Paul, he sees that worship is all he wants to do. He catches that. And that is where he finds his most joy. And so he says, my motivation is to see you saved so that you can be an elevation to the glory of God. And that is what he beats for, and that's what we should beat for. That is what will motivate us when we find our passion in the worship of our God. Those are two of the motivations that he reveals that's in him for that reason to bring people. Number one was to completely... um, in his belief and in his faith, his unquenchable faith. And his number two was in the desperate longing to worship. Last, last thing that we're going to see in this text is what his, his encouragement, Paul's consistent encouragement to endure. Okay, this is going to be starting in verse 16. So here's the question. What do you do when the suffering is constant? And the trouble is absolutely overwhelming. How do you deal with that? So you might be someone who sees the purpose easily. 
You can say, I can catch Chris, I can follow you. I can see the purpose. I can see that we're here for the sake of others, for the, the life of those who are dead. I get that. And you might even be able to say, and I am motivated. I strongly believe in the promises of God. And I, I strongly long to worship God. And you might even embrace the suffering. But how do you continue to endure day after day, month after month, hour after hour, when it is a constant struggle, constant hardship, a constant battle? How do you not lose heart? Look at verse 16, and this is such an amazing, amazing statement. Therefore, Paul says, therefore we do not lose heart. You know what that means? I mean, to lose heart means to become cowardly or timid or faint-hearted or weak or, ho- or hopeless or fearful, to lose the boldness or, or your bravery or your courage, to become weary or faint, to just quit or give up or just bail out. That is the idea of losing heart. And the Apostle Paul said, we do not lose heart. I won't ever give up. I won't ever bail. I will never become cowardly. I will never be timid or faint. I will be bold through it all. This is the guy that consistently, day in and day out, was persecuted. We know the passage where he says, constantly imprisoned, the stripes, the constant worry of death, the beatings, the stonings, the shipwrecks, the dangers of waters, robbers, and his own countrymen. Often sleep-deprived, hungry, thirsty, cold, or naked. Day after day, burdened beyond measure. And this is the man at the end of his life who wrote in 2 Timothy that everyone has abandoned me. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. And he says this in the verse 7 of 2 Timothy, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Through it all. He endured through it all. He never gave up. He never went AWOL. He never lost the faith. He stood strong. How? Three encouragements to endure. This is what he lived with. This is how he lived that provided his avenue to endure through it all. Number one. You will endure when, you're va- when you value spiritual strength over physical. Look at verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. First thing he says is that even though our outward man is perishing, this is probably the one truth in the Bible that no one will ever argue with. It is clear that our outward man is perishing. Our flesh is perishing. That as we get older, we start to see this weak and fragile body even more distinguishable. And for Paul, it it wasn't not only old age. It was the fact that he lived with this body that was just beaten up and worn down. The stonings, the, the whippings, the beatings were just evidence that this body is fragile. He would take off his shirt and you would see the scars of the constant beatings that he faced. But that did not matter to him. 
You see, the person who fails in endurance is who recognize the frailty of their body and that matters to them. When you worry about the frailty of your body, when you, when you fear for it, and when you are consumed to protect it, and that's what matters to you, you can never endure in this fight. But the person who endures, the person who finds encouragement, the person who will keep the course is the person who takes value in the second part of that verse. It's this. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. When that matters to you more than the outward, that is the only motivation. That is one of the motivations that you're going to need. The encouragements to keep you going. What is the inward man? That is the heart. That is the soul. That is your real self as a Christian. It's the eternal part of us that's going to live forever. It's our real being. It's, it's the portion of our life that comes alive at conversion. That's that new birth that is created. That's the inner man. This is what Paul talks about in Ephesians 3. We talked about this last night in such an awesome verse. Listen to what he says in a prayer Paul does in Ephesians 3. He says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. And it starts that the Spirit would come in and fill you and strengthen your inner man. And for Paul, that's all he wanted. That's all that drove him. It didn't matter what this... this flesh happened that's not my strength anyways my strength is derived from my inner man that is filled by the spirit of god that is the perspective that he kept and and guys it is so easy to see those who have invested in the inner man rather than the outward you know why because when they when your outward begins to fade you know what starts to display more that inward man that's why you'll see some of the most sweetest, gentlest, most kind, loving, old, elderly ladies and men that you'll ever meet. And at the same time, you will see the most crude, angry, frustrated, bitter men and women that you'll ever meet. Because as their flesh begins to fade, the inward man begins to be more evident first encouragement is that you take more value in the spiritual strength over the physical. The next one. You will endure, you will endure when you value the future over the present. Verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Paul sees two things, he, and he puts them on a scale. He says, this is my first one, is, uh, is my affliction. And he describes his affliction in two ways. He, he first says that he describes it as a light affliction, which is such an amazing word. In the Greek, what he's actually saying when he says light 
it means nothing. It's fluff. It's, it's absolutely weightless. And so he's putting his affliction on the scale and he says it weighs nothing, which is such a telling statement because from our perspective, that affliction that he's incurring is everything but light. It's heavy. It's constant. But he says it's weightless. It's light. When he looks through the lens of the future perspective, it doesn't matter. And the second thing he describes is, is it's momentary, which again is another thing that's telling, because it's happened his entire life. His affliction in Christ has been constant. But for him it didn't matter, because he had the lens of the future. He had the lens over the present. And when you compare it to what was promised to him, this mattered nothing. The affliction he could deal with all day long. That's what Paul says in Romans 8 when he says, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is revealed to us. You see, perspective is everything. When you focus here on the temporary, you will not endure. But when your hope and your perspective is on what is promised to you, your strength will last. So you will endure when you value the future over the present. And last, i got to move here. Number three, you will endure when you value eternal realities over temporal. Church, I want to remind you that our great treasure in this life and in the next currently is something we can't see is the person of Jesus Christ. We can't see him, but he is the greatest thing we have. And we will struggle to endure in the hardships of life when we trade that treasure for something that we can see right now. It is the quickest way for us to fall. And Paul says we have to while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The call is to set your eyes on the thing that we can't see that's going to be eternally our treasure. I'm going to close, and I'm going to let actually Francis Chan close us here. Um, because what I see, I think, for this last point, I think he uh, saw online, um, he communicates absolutely so well. On the last point, on why, where our encouragement is found. And from that, after we're done listening to him, we can respond in worship. And however you want to respond in worship, this might be the time where you reset your perspective. As we sing, this might be the time where you thank God for giving you another day. And this might be the time where you begin to pray for those that are around you. But as we listen to this last point, remember this. That we will endure when we see Jesus over that of the temporary. Because he is better. Go ahead and play it.